Uh, uh, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to IoT 213, Computing at the Edge with Amazon FreeRTOS and AWS IoT Greengrass. Just make sure you're in the right place. Uh, my name is Prashant Pralad. I uh, am a senior manager in product management for these services, which we call Edge uh, services. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about our services today, but most importantly, we're going to invite Enel and Marco Parmigiani from Enel to come over and share with us how they've used these services in production. And it's a very exciting and creative use case. It kind of displays how customers are moving from um, you know, proof of concepts to actually deploying these things uh, in production. So very excited about that. And we'll make sure we have enough time for that. I'd like to set some context. So you've invested an hour of your time coming here, and you have a lot of sessions you could go to. So this is what you'll get out of this session, right? Um, edge, why, what is it? Why is it relevant uh, to you? You're in a cloud computing conference. You're in an IoT session where things are all connected, and Edge is a little bit different from that. So we'll describe what that means. Uh, we'll talk about two services, specifically uh, AWS IoT Greengrass, uh, which is not about Elan. It's about extending relevant AWS services that are available in the cloud to Edge devices, so devices that are sporadically connected to the internet. We're also going to talk about Amazon Free RTOS, which is a real-time operating system, and it's free, hence the name Free RTOS, and then it connects to AWS, which is why it's Amazon Free RTOS. We're going to get into details about that, and of course, uh, Marco is going to talk about how all these come together. Now, this is a 200-level session, but we're going to get into some specifics about each of these services. Uh, there were some launches that happened yesterday. We're going to cover them here. Uh, each of those launches are pretty significant. If you're interested, uh, go to the sessions that cover each of those specific IoT launches in depth. I only had space for three, but there are five. <laughs> so these are the ones that I would recommend, but there are more, uh, you know, like new features in Greengrass is another one that I would recommend uh, you check out, uh, which is, I believe, on Thursday. All right, what is the edge? Now, for some of you who are familiar with rock bands, Living on the Edge is a song from Aerosmith. Uh, you could think, you know, edge is something like this. It's, uh, you know, you're, it's like being in a rock band. It's, it's loud, it's, you're plugged in, it's exciting. Uh, you're blazing trails. Uh, but in reality, what I found working on the edge is it's a little bit of a disconnected environment. It's remote. Uh, you're, Head is close to the cloud, not always in. Uh, and it's, uh, again, you know, kind of uh, solace. Um, and given some of these extremes, I thought you know, the, the best thing we could do is start with a common understanding of what edge really means. Simply put, there are many names for this, but it's about processing data close to where it is created. Right? It's, 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 that's the simplest definition of edge. And there are various terms you'll hear, hybrid, mist, fog. Uh, the point is the workloads are diverse. The unifying element is that you have to process some of this information close to where it's created. Okay. Why do we need it? 
right? Again, IoT, the Internet of Things, where things are connected to the Internet. AWS, cloud computing is a big deal for us. So it's all about connecting devices. So why do you need to have computing close to the data, source of data? There are three reasons that are outlined here. The first one is just physics, right? If you're driving, or if you're using a self-driving car, not really driving it, you don't want a reaction time for that car to take that latency to go to the cloud and come back. It's just not acceptable. Uh, you, you have, uh, and, and these kind of latency requirements don't get better over time. It just, you know, it's uh, what would we call God-given, right? You can't change it. Uh, the second one is economics, right? As these devices get significantly more powerful, they, uh, cameras, they're, they're extracting a lot more information and a lot more depth in them. The amount of data generated from these devices is huge. And of course, the cost of transferring this data from those devices to the cloud is going down but not at the same rate as which the data is being generated, right? So, you know, if you do the math, it's, you need to have some sort of filtering, some sort of intelligent processing on these devices for them to become financially viable to connect to the cloud. And the last reason is regulatory. Uh, you know, there are certain use cases where it's uh, not okay to actually ship data out of the device where the data is generated. You know, think about uh, medical use cases, for example. So those are the reasons why we believe edge will exist. These devices will connect to the cloud, but there will be some processing on the edge. And this is not new. So some of you may be thinking, wait, I spent the last 10 years moving things to the cloud, and now you're saying edge will become relevant. The truth is, this has happened over and over and over again in the history of computing. So I picked up an article from 1970, okay? And it said, we need to have a decentralized system because centralization is just too much. It, you know, it has to be closer to people. Computing has to be closer to the people it serves. In 1970. And then in 83, John Leslie King wrote an article saying, we have to centralize things because this decentralization is just not working out for everyone. So this debate has gone on for a long, long time. And it's almost like a pendulum swing, right? You had mainframes, and then you had client server, and you had data centers, uh, PCs, cloud, edge devices. So it kind of feels like we're all over the place here. But the truth, if you look deeper, is that it's not really a pendulum swing, right? Technology evolves, the centralized, the things that you centralize become bigger, the, the number of things you decentralize also grows. And each time you've seen a phase shift, it has been orders of magnitude greater than it has been previously. As an example, uh, mainframes dealt with megabytes, cloud deals with exabytes in the centralized realm. There are millions of PCs, mobile phones, at least one per person, there are billions. Edge devices, it's likely to be more than one per person. It's going to be several billions by anyone's estimate, and depending on whose estimate you believe. But the likelihood that you'll have more edge devices is very high. 
and you can see that it's getting faster and faster each time. So this is something that if you're uh, a CIO, an IT manager, or you're managing workspaces for people or uh, machines for people, you started doing that and you're managing cell phones, uh, you're going to have to manage tablets, I think now it's very popular. The number of these devices are going to increase. So if you're an IT manager, you're going to have to manage these devices that people bring into work. And there's going to be more of them. So it's going to be, I believe, relevant. So hopefully uh, you're here for, you, you knew that. Uh, and hopefully those who were concerned about what edge means, it's, it's clear that this is something that it's only a matter of time before it becomes relevant. And it's important for us to be familiar with what these are and how to use them. And I'll get into what AWS does at the edge. Now for us, IoT is about connecting devices and allowing you to manage them, and then using data produced by these devices to do interesting things like machine learning, analytics, querying, or decision making. Now we divided those into three different categories. Device software, things that run on the device, right? Then control services that run in the cloud to manage those devices. And then cloud services that take the data from those devices and make them usable for machine learning. And those are called data services. To lift the hood, this is what it looks like, right? You have devices at the very end, like gateways, IoT endpoints that connect uh, to through a message broker to a, a control center. And then you have other things as you keep going to, uh, I guess, my right or your right. Uh, you have things that allow you to control those devices. For example, control software updates, uh, make sure the configuration of those devices are secure, and then extracting data from them to do analytics. In this session, we're going to cover the ones that are highlighted. Right? We're going to cover edge devices, software that runs on the edge devices, and how you control and manage them. Now, uh, if you have software running on these edge devices that processes data, again, closer to where it's generated, what do you use the cloud for? Now, the cloud is used to do four simple things. It's used to, as a control center for these devices. It's used to secure the configuration of these devices. It's used for machine learning, and by machine learning, I specifically mean machine learning training, right? You can run inference, for example, detect something, detect an anomaly. You can run those kind of things on the device. But in order for the model that detects that, the training requires a lot more compute power. And that can only be possible in the cloud. And then, of course, analytics and big data. So all the things we've built up over the past decade for big data in the cloud are all relevant and can be used for this. So that's what the cloud is used for. And how you decide which components you connect and use and how much of the cloud you use and how much of the edge services you use depends, of course, on the use case. Now, the services we're going to talk about today uh, span a broad spectrum, right? So obviously, for the cloud services, you have the AWS services. And then if you go to CDNs or points of presence, it's called POP. You have uh, Lambda at the edge, so you can run Lambda functions at the edge, at these edge nodes or CDNs. And then everything from infrastructure all the way to gateways, we have a service called Greengrass 
that allows you to extend relevant AWS services onto those devices. And at the very end of the edge, you know, far edge, if you will, uh, we have Amazon FreeRTOS. And then again, these, these uh, terms I'm using will become very clear, and then we'll have uh, details about each of the services and what we launched. Now, the most important thing that I wanna highlight is machine learning. Uh, is a significant capability that this setup enables. Now, if you think about what Greengrass does, it allows you to take machine learning models from the cloud, run it on these devices, for example, cameras to detect anomalies, and then you use the data that these devices produce, send it to IoT Core, and then clean it up through something called IoT Analytics, one of the data services, again, in the cloud. And then SageMaker is our cloud service that allows you to retrain that model and push it back onto the device. So the, the thing you ought to take away from this is you have a physical device that is running something like Greengrass, Edge software, connects to the cloud. It gets, it is possible for that device to get more intelligent over time, right, through the retraining process. And that's a very important loop to re remember. Now Greengrass, as of yesterday, afternoon had these kind of capabilities. I won't get into details of each of them because we launched a few more. So yesterday we launched uh, actually three new capabilities. There are two of them here, and one of them is in relation to machine learning, and I'll go through all of them in detail. So Greengrass offers local compute. So you can react to events really quickly on the device itself using the same programming concepts that developers in the cloud use. So you create a Lambda function, an application on the cloud, deploy it onto the device, and you have the same environment for those Lambda functions to run on that device. And to make that happen, there are various features that uh, you know, we'll talk about, things like ability to access local resources on that device, ability to containerize those Lambda functions so that they don't affect each other. Right security of those devices, enable, in, enabling communication uh, through TLS, for example. These are all features that I would argue are table stakes, right? So when you think of edge software, I would categorize features in the following. There's table stake features that you would expect from edge software. Uh, there's security features that are very relevant to certain use cases. And then there's applications such as machine learning that make it really distinguishing. And we're going to go and look at these features in those three buckets. Now, Greengrass is runtime. It runs on Linux systems that have at least 128 megabytes of memory and are one gigahertz or greater. And it uses MQTT protocol, which is what IoT systems use, to connect to the AWS cloud the service it connects to is called IoT Core. That's where the messages are sent. And then when you develop Lambda functions in the cloud, you use the Greengrass on the cloud side to deploy that Lambda function to the edge. Right? And then uh, one of these table stakes is you want to update the device. If you have hundreds of devices out there and you want to update the software on these devices, you use something called IoT device management to do over-the-air updates for the software running on that device. So it gives you the ability to manage all these remote devices from the cloud, but connectivity is not required at all in all cases. So these devices can function without ever connecting to the cloud once they're set up. 
But if you want to do things like update software, send messages back to the cloud, that's when you need connectivity. Now, Greengrass supports several uh, languages. So we recently added C in addition to all of the languages you can write your Lambda functions in to allow people to write embedded, for example, embedded software. C is very popular. Uh, local actions allow you to take, you know, for, as I mentioned, actions to whatever your things are sensing fairly quickly, right? So you don't have to, uh, for example, have the latency to send that data back to the cloud. And these happen offline. So you, when you want to take an action on an event, you don't have to have any kind of connectivity to make that happen. Over-the-air updates, this is a pretty significant capability. I'd highly urge you to uh, think about this because being able to update software on your device through the cloud when connectivity is available just gives you so many more options. Uh, for example, if there's a new feature of Greengrass that was launched yesterday, you can actually deploy that onto your devices through these over-the-air updates. And they're fail-safe, so if the updates don't happen, we'll revert back to the previous version uh, of, of that stable software. Now, those were stable stakes, and now let's look at security, right? Security is important, uh, especially for edge devices, which uh, are on the edge by definition, so they're not connected. Uh, and you want to make sure that data on these devices is secure. Uh, you want to make sure that communication between uh, the device and the cloud when connectivity is available is encrypted and secure. And we support that through TLS. Uh, mutual authentication, uh, both locally when you're communicating with different devices, as well as when the device is communicating with the cloud. Now, in this realm, we launched several new features that I want to talk about in a little bit more detail. The first one is called Secrets Manager. This was announced yesterday. And there's a session that gets into a lot of depth on this one. What Secrets Managers allows you to do um, is use cloud capabilities to secure secrets on devices. So keep in mind, I told you, Greengrass brings relevant AWS services to edge devices. This particular capability brings AWS Secrets Manager, which is a cloud capability, to the edge device. What that means is, for example, if you had a username password you're using to log into an application, and you want that application to run on an edge device, that username password is a secret. And that secret, if you store it in the cloud, is encrypted using a uh, hardware security module, or HSM. And when you want to run that software on the edge, you need a way to actually store that secret on the edge because you don't have connectivity, right? So what this feature allows you to do is push those secrets from the cloud to the edge and use the same policies that were associated with that secret. For example, you want to rotate that secret every 90 days. You can have the same policy applied on the edge device, and those secrets are automatically rotated for you. The other feature that's uh, relevant here when you have secrets is how you encrypt the secrets and store the keys for that secret. So the hardware security integration feature allows Greengrass to work closely with hardware vendors who implemented a secure element, a place where you can store the private keys used to encrypt that data using what is known as the standard uh, PKCS, or private key cryptographic standard interface. And these hardware vendors have implemented that interface so that if you run Greengrass on that device, 
you encrypt data and store the keys in the secure element. And what that does is it gives you hardware root of trust. So the only way someone can tamper with that secret that you've stored on the device is if they get hardware access to take the keys out and decrypt the data, which is in theory possible, but very, very, very unlikely, right? So security is a big deal, right? These are some features we think uh, will help your devices be secure if you're using Greengrass uh, on various types of equipment. And these are some of the partners we've been working with to make that happen. So again, there are details about how each of these work and how we're uh, sort of improving this partner ecosystem around uh, storing that private key in the secure element that these hardware vendors provide. We also launched, so that was security. So we talked about table stakes, we talked about security, and now let's talk about applications. In terms of applications, this is what you know, most people talk about, but I believe that table stakes and security are more important than applications, because applications is, is easy to build, right? Uh, but we're making it easier. So we launched something called Connectors yesterday. Connectors are applications that we have pre-built and made available for users. And you can simply deploy those applications from the cloud to these devices. All right, so these are sample applications or they're building blocks you can use to build more complex applications and they're called connectors. And um, there are 10 uh, connectors available today. And uh, some of the examples allow you to connect, uh, for example, an edge device like a camera directly to Amazon Kinesis. Right? The connector runs on top of Greengrass and then establish a connection to Kinesis to send data there. Uh, being able to, for example, send metrics to CloudWatch to be able to detect, for example, CPU usage on that device in CloudWatch. That's another sample connector. Uh, we've also worked with um, third parties, uh, you know, Splunk, for example, sending log data from the device uh, directly to Splunk. And you know, this is a great example where all of those things I talked about come together. Uh, for logging into Splunk, you need a username and password. That can be stored in Secrets Manager. That secret, if you run it on the hardware that has a secure element, is encrypted with that uh, PKCS11 interface. So uh, these applications really bring all those table stake features and security together, and that's an example of that. Uh, more to come. We're working with other vendors to actually create more of an application ecosystem so you can start using Greengrass with these applications. Uh, without having to actually write code. Now, without having to write a lot of code, right? You have to actually customize these to make it run on your hardware. So there'll be some amount of that. And it's really simple. You know, I, I, uh, I, I would have shown this to you, and maybe we can try doing this if we have time towards the end. Uh, it's, I've tried it. You just go to the console. You see a list of these connectors available. Uh, you know, all the things I just mentioned, CloudWatch, uh, you know, there's... Uh, Modbus adapter that allows you to do some protocol conversion. And you can just deploy it on the device. It's really that simple, right? Uh, click and get started. Now, one of the connectors, for those who are observing this very closely, is called image classification connector. And that's about machine learning. And I'll mention that in the next slide. So machine learning is a very sp special application uh, that runs on the edge. And in this case, it's really interesting because you, know, you, could, you could do machine learning on Greengrass before. We had libraries that allow you to uh, deploy required framework 
pre-compiled frameworks on the device, and then the model that you trained on the cloud, you can deploy it on the device. What we've done with these connectors is we package that up so that you can deploy the whole thing uh, on the device without having to write code. And you'll see that you know, uh, the use cases where this is relevant, of course, spans a, a wide gamut from industrial to do predictive maintenance to cameras to do video surveillance to robotics. Uh, we've been working with some camera vendors to actually make this real. One of them is mentioned here, Panasonic, who actually run these machine learning models on the device. And again, they packaged up machine learning models. You don't have to take the components and run them directly. You just take the connector and run that directly on the camera. And they're using this kind of capability uh, to do details uh, monitoring. So for example, uh, understanding what the patterns are for people moving across a retail site or in factories to see if what patterns people, uh, people um, use, I guess, to optimize things. Um, and they all have these dashboards available um, you know, that, that Panasonic provide. We're working with other camera vendors too. Uh, Leopard and AD Link, for example, or uh, other camera vendors we're working with, and there'll be more coming down that, down that list. Uh, some of the Greengrass capabilities are also used as a, uh, a technology enabler. It's part of the GE Edge platform. Uh, so all of the GE devices that use the Edge OS, which GE builds internally, use Greengrass. So all of the capabilities that are used um, that are available in Greengrass are available in EdgeOS, which powers things, you know, like all the things you see in the picture, uh, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, so uh, enough about Greengrass. Um, uh, I wanted to also spend some time on Amazon FreeRTOS. Uh, Amazon FreeRTOS is a real-time operating system for microcontrollers. And microcontrollers are, are these things that are pretty much everywhere, and you don't even notice them, right? Microcontroller devices are, uh, you know, your light switch, uh, your thermostat, your washing machines, there's hundreds of them in many of, these, many of these devices sometimes. And there's a big revolution happening in microcontrollers. It's become very easy to connect microcontrollers to the cloud, right? And things like Amazon FreeRTOS is making it much, much easier. Now, obviously, it will take time because these devices take time uh, to get refreshed. Uh, but it's happening pretty rapidly from our viewpoint. Uh, as I said, you know, microcontrollers are everywhere. Amazon FreeRTOS takes builds on something called FreeRTOS kernel. The FreeRTOS kernel, or the free real-time operating system kernel, has existed for about 15 years now. And uh, the FreeRTOS kernel allows the microcontroller to operate. And what we add as Amazon is connectivity libraries that allow those devices to connect back to either a Greengrass core, so you could think of it as a hub and spoke type of model, or it can connect directly to the AWS cloud, right, if it has that kind of capacity. And of course, just like with Greengrass, there's table stake features, there's security, and there's applications that are built on top of it. And we'll talk about those. This is completely open source, uh, MIT license. You can click the link on GitHub and look at the latest libraries that exist and the vendors who have taken these libraries and ported it onto their chipsets, which are powering various use cases. And as I said, it supports over-the-air updates, which is a significant uh, thing to have when you have devices that are sporadically connected. 
and the default configuration is secure. Uh, it's called secure by default configuration. As I said, we provide Greengrass connectivity libraries with the FreeRTOS kernel, so Amazon FreeRTOS devices, washing machines and, and uh, you know, light bulbs and so on, can connect to anything that runs Greengrass. So uh, they, uh, you know, if, you, if you expand a little bit into a connected home scenario, and you can see examples of, that, examples of this in demos and so on, these devices can now connect to your home gateway, right? which allows you to do intelligent things without having to always send this data to the cloud. And that's the use case we're enabling with some of these. And what Amazon FreeRTOS does is allows portability of these applications across different platforms. And we'll get into details of that through some examples. Um, uh, so connectivity libraries to Greengrass, connectivity libraries to the cloud. So those are some examples. And MQTT is the, is the protocol that's used to connect to the cloud. Uh, Over-the-air firmware updates. This is, again, in the category of table stake features. Very, very important to make sure that you can update uh, the version of Amazon FreeRTOS on your device. And then uh, in terms of just a little bit of security, these, uh, the updates are signed, right? So you know the code that's coming in over the air is signed and able to operate on that device. Uh, uh, again, we use secure TLS, uh, PKCS11 interface for key management, just like with Greengrass. So security is, again, a pretty significant uh, capability. We also have a capability that we recently launched, which is integration with IoT Device Defender. IoT Device Defender is a cloud-side service that allows you to monitor configurations of your device to see if they're anomalies. What we're doing with FreeRTOS is sending metrics from those devices to the cloud, to Device Defender, to see if there's any anomaly in those devices themselves. So you could say, hey, there's one device that has a spike in CPU. There's something that's obviously not normal there. And we could actually use that in Device Defender to detect those anomalies. And number of connections is another one. If you're expecting a device to have a single connection and you see multiple connections being made, that's a metric you can send back to the cloud side in order to take actions. Now, yesterday, we announced a new capability for FreeRTOS, which is the Bluetooth Low Energy Libraries. Now, Bluetooth Low Energy allows you to connect devices, microcontrollers again, to any device that speaks BLE through standard GAP uh, and GAT profiles, which is a, B a Bluetooth standard. Uh, it's generic attribute profile and generic access profile. And then once this connection is established, for example, through your phone from a device, that device can start speaking IoT protocols like MQTT over that Bluetooth link, right? Um, and in many cases, what customers find is it's difficult to provision uh, a Wi-Fi credentials on the device. And if you've tried it at home and you have devices you want to connect to Wi-Fi, provisioning that device is sometimes a pain. So using Bluetooth, you can actually establish Wi-Fi credentials on the device without having to go through that painstaking provisioning process. And what we're accompanying this is with iOS and Android SDKs. So you can connect these devices to your phone and then have the Wi-Fi credentials on these devices so they can talk directly to IoT Core, for example, uh, without having to go through the whole uh, setup process. The advantage that uh, you know, developers get is that the Bluetooth interfaces, like the Wi-Fi management interfaces and other interfaces that Amazon FreeRTOS provides, 
is portable. So if you replace a, for example, uh, one vendor's chip with another vendor's chip, that code that you've written is portable across uh, those vendors because you're using standardized interfaces that Amazon FreeRTOS supports. And this is in beta, and some of the customers that you'll see, there's a session on this, I think tomorrow at 7 p.m., that talks about Bluetooth low energy in detail. Okay, great. Um, customers are, again, uh, this, is, this is a great concept, but they're, they're people who are implementing this in reality. One, one ex few examples here that are relevant. Um, Iris Oyama, a Japanese smart light, smart ceiling light solution, uh, is using Amazon FreeRTOS, and they're using it on a microchip chip. Um, and you know, it's the first time actually using AWS and IoT. So some of the things that they found with Amazon FreeRTOS is very compelling. Right? You, can, you can read the text there, but um, their initial solution required them to have various expertise in different forms of embedded software development. And when they started using Amazon FreeRTOS with all these libraries, it not only got the portability advantages, not only the security stuff, but also savings in time because they had um, all these libraries to work with that were pre-ported for them. We're also working with PetSafe, another uh, Amazon FreeRTOS customer. Now, if you've ever been away and you have a pet, uh, this is a smart feeder system that allows you from your phone to feed your pets, right? And the, uh, the pet feeder uses Amazon FreeRTOS. And there's a line of products, a fascinating use case. There's a line of products that uh, pet feeder, PetSafe has implemented uh, that will use Amazon FreeRTOS uh, in addition to the smart feeder that exists today. Um, and again, the portability has been a key, key selling point there. And internally, you know, we treat Amazon products as customers. Uh, Amazon Alexa, some of their products, uh, you know, listed some here, some of them recently announced, all are built on the FreeRTOS kernel, right? So they use some of the uh, capabilities that the Amazon FreeRTOS teams builds as well. Now, yesterday, we also launched something called IoT Device Tester. There's a chalk talk on this that we'll get into details. IoT Device Tester is a self-service test automation tool, right? It allows you to take a device and then test whether it's capable of running either Amazon FreeRTOS or Greengrass, so basically our edge software, right? So you can take a device, you can install uh, you know, Greengrass on it or Amazon FreeRTOS and then verify whether all the functionality on that device is working using this self-service mechanism. And there's a separate one for Amazon FreeRTOS and one for Greengrass. Now, if you're, um, uh, if, you, if you're a device manufacturer, obviously the advantage is you can certify and list your device in what's called a device catalog. And as a customer, you can go to that device catalog and say, these are the devices that have been pre-certified for use with Amazon FreeRTOS for, uh, for getting listed and, and purchasing. Uh, but if you're a customer using this, it also helps you validate whether what you've implemented is working correctly using the self-service tool. Now, I've been speaking for a long time, uh, and I know the highlight of this session was to see not just about what the services, but how they're used in production. And for that, I will hand it over to Marco Parmigiani from NL to come and kind of describe how they're using these services. Thanks, Marco. Thank you, Prashant, and good afternoon, everybody. I'm going to start with giving some information about 
my company, for those of you who don't know about Enel, Enel is today one of the global leaders in the energy sector, working in 35 countries and giving work to around 70,000 people, and has a diversified business spanning distribution of power, generation of energy from both renewable and thermal sources, smart energy solutions such as demand response storage systems or electrical mobility solutions, and gas and electricity retail. The focus of our session will be in the first of those business lines, the blue one on the top, that is where I work in Energy Global Digital Solutions as the program manager of the Italian metering and film platform that manages 32 of those 73 million meters and manages also around 40,000 field activities every day. But what is the context of our presentation? It is electrical power distribution, in particular electrical power distribution in Italy. Distribution is about taking power from high voltage transmission lines, transform it into medium and then low voltage power and then deliver it to final users. This is done leveraging three core sites along the grid that are the primary substations on the left, the secondary substation in the middle, and finally the points of delivery to end users. That's where the smart meters are. In this presentation, we will going to explain how to face challenges that arise at the customer site by doing edge computing in the central site, in the secondary substations. Those are um, critical sites of the network because they host both distribution components, the transformers and the breakers that are subject to failures that may cause outages to final customers, they are so hard to monitor just because they are so many. We have over 440,000 such sites in our grid. And also the secondary substation hosts a, a critical component of this monitoring solution. That is the data concentrator that is in itself an edge component capable of executing procedures, communicating with, communicating with the meters on one side and with the central system on the other. But let's focus on the challenges that we would like to address using edge computing. Power distribution in most countries is about providing two core services that are the distribution itself, that is about assuring the continuity and the quality of power for each customer, and the smart metering service. Both of the services are regulated by the National Energy Authority that sets requirements and KPIs for both of them. In terms of quality of service of power distribution, in Italy we have an already optimized and mature grid, and we have to find new ways to improve the quality of service indexes. We also have a new requirement set by the Italian authority that is related to giving resilience to the grid, that is, the capability of uh, withstanding exceptional natural events such as earthquakes, blizzards, floods. And we have, we have had all of them in Italy in the last years. As for smart metering, we are now 
on the second year of our second generation smart metering deployment and the requirements set by the authority for this second generation are much more challenging than for the first one. We have moved from collecting data on a monthly basis to a daily basis. The amount of data that we have to collect has increased by, a number, by an order of over 200. And we also have to deliver those data by midnight every single day after collecting it, validating it, estimating missing values, and finally publishing to the external systems. But how is exactly edge computing fit into those challenges? The starting point is the new generation of data concentrator that we are using for our second generation of metering deployment. Unlike the first generation, the new data concentrator that is called the Low Voltage Manager is not just a device that is dedicated to smart metering, but is conceived as a sort of a services hub for enabling the so-called smart secondary substation. And we will see two projects that leverage this component together with Greengrass in order to address the challenges that we mentioned before. One is naturally uh, second generation smart metering. In this project, we will evolve the current smart metering architecture using Greengrass to enable push of data from the, set, from the, from the edge to the center to move business logic from the center to the edge and to adopt a stronger security model for the communication challenge for the communication channel from the concentrator to the center. And the second project is totally new and is about advanced sensoring. We are equipping the substations with uh, an array of sensors and use Greengrass to process them in real time, take decisions on the edge and perform actions. So let's talk about the first of, the of those two projects, the advanced sensoring. Here we are seeing the setup of an actual production substation. We see the low voltage manager in the upper left, close to the breakers. In the center we have the multimeters, the central units for electrical sensors. And the multimeter sensors are the yellow ring that you see on the upper right. Then on the bottom row we have uh, on the floor, an ultrasonic sensor. On the roof, we have a smoke detector with a humidity sensor. And on the right, we have the sensoring main unit and the LTE router. This is the uh, dashboard that we use to monitor data that comes from a single substation. We have power and electricity on the low voltage phases of the transformer, temperature and humidity of the environment, Three binary widgets that are intrusion, door opened, flood, and smoke presence. We have the temperature on the surface of the breaker. And in the bottom row, we have ozone and ultrasonic sensors measurements that are useful for detecting partial discharges that may lead to short circuits and potentially to fires. But how is like the, the architecture of this advanced sensoring project. We have the array of sensors on the left. We see we have many of them. In the center, we have the low voltage manager with um, a proprietary application that basically collects data from the sensors, AWS Greengrass that processes them in real time 
And at this point, we have two different use cases. One is about training the machine learning models. It is the blue one. Greengrass basically sends the data to an, an AWS Kinesis Firehose service that stores them on S3, which basically acts as a repository of historical data. From that, the machine learning central platform continuously gets the data for each specific substation and builds machine learning models that are targeted to that specific substation. Those models are built into Lambda functions and updated over the air to Greengrass. And they are used for the second use case that is about analyzing potentially unknown data, comparing them with a the machine learning model specific to that substation and taking decision. At this stage of the project, the decision is whether to send warning or alarm messages to the center, to AWS IoT. And in the future, those messages will be integrated with the distribution systems, the SCADAs, or the outage management systems that can trigger actions, either remote actions or sending people on site. But we also plan in the future to uh, take actions directly on the edge by adding not only sensors, but also actuators to the substation in order to uh, take action with a shorter reaction time. And for SCADA system, the reaction time is very important because it can make the difference between isolating a short circuit or not. Okay, uh, for uh, the smart metering project, we have less pictures to show it is less high candy, but we can compare the architectures. Here we have two use cases, again. The blue one is uh, the one related to processing uh, collected meter data, and basically we have the smart meters on the left. The communication with the smart meters, the knowledge of the protocol, either PLC, power line communication, or radio frequency protocol is known by the native metering application. And then the data are handed to Greengrass. Greengrass uses its built-in features and security model to push them to AWS IoT using MQTT over TLS with mutual authentication. And then the messages are handed over to the metering and field platform, which basically performs all the meter processing that is needed in order to publish them to the external systems. The second use case is related to uh, customer contract management. For example, remote disconnections of bad payers. In this case, the request comes from the external systems. It is handed over to the metering and field platform that builds the message that can be understood by Greengrass. At this point, Greengrass does basically the management of the transactions, the retries, the management of the expiration times, and uh, the prioritization of the messages. All of those things, as of today, are done by the central system. So what we are actually doing are, is not taking over some logic from the native metering application, but taking over logic from the central system, pushing it closer to where it's needed. Thus, this way, we, we are removing the double hop from the meters to the concentrator to the central system and back. So the, the overall execution time is much faster by using this approach. So can we summarize the benefits that those two projects are bringing to NL? And more than that, what are the technical enablers of those benefits? For quality of service, 
the key enabler here is the capability of using machine learning techniques on the edge because it would be impossible to programmatically tackle this problem giving the completely different conditions of each substation, one from the other, and the sheer number of those substations, that they are more than 400,000. As for the second generation smart metering, the key point is that uh, by moving every functionality that is currently in the central system to the edge, we are actually gaining horizontal scalability by a factor of 380,000 which is hard even for the more elastically scalable cloud service, maybe. But actually, we have 380,000 concentrators in the field, and we have to use them more. Second point is that by using together Greengrass and AWS IoT, we are using a solution that is already engineered to have a strong implementation of basic features that are essential for smart metering, the messaging model, the security model, because, for example, the load profiles are sensitive data, so that we have, they have to be protected using the best industrial standards for, uh, for security. Another key point is that we are placing on the same edge component the classic industrial firmware with its slower development times, with a software that is capable through over-the-air updates scripted Python functions, the Lambda functions, to be updatable in a much more faster way. So we are bringing actually continuous delivery capability on an industrial device, which had previously much slower development lifecycle. And so what are the next steps of those two projects? For advanced sensoring, we deployed the first substation in production at the end of October and plan to add 125 more by the end of the first quarter of next year. And for uh, smart metering, second generation, we have completed last week the POC that transformed the concentrator into a device capable of doing push of data from, from the edge to the center compared with the current pool model that is used by the central system application. And we want to industrialize this POC and get into production with a fully integrated and secured implementation by the end of the first half of uh, next year. But uh, those two initiatives uh, will need to converge at the end because uh, they will be needed to run on the same hardware that is NLLVM and the same software runtime that is AWS Greengrass. So we have seen two different takes on edge computing. The first censoring is about creating something new directly on the edge, leveraging more advanced features of Greengrass. The second, more basic, but is uh, equally essential. It is about moving something that is already implemented in the center to the edge. So two different takes. Um, now, Prashant, if you'd like to join me for the final remarks. Uh, sh sure. Uh, thanks, Marco. So you can see some examples of how these, uh, these kind of services are not just conceptual at this point. They're, they're actually in production. They're not POCs. They're being deployed. Um, so, so 
when you walk away from this session, I want you to remember, there's a lot that we said here, but maybe remember a few things. One is this edge changes. They're happening very, very rapidly. Right? These devices are getting connected. They're getting smarter. It's approaching faster than most people think. And because they're physical devices, it just takes a little bit longer, but they're all converging at the same time. When you think about edge, uh, it's synonymous with machine learning and intelligence and all of that. Those are applications. Pay attention to stable state features, things like connectivity, over-the-air updates. These things are essential for an edge deployment, more so than the applications. The applications will always come. And security and, and, and applications such as machine learning are built on top of that. And those are the ones that will truly differentiate offerings towards the end. But these table, take, table stakes features are extremely important. And I would uh, uh, remind you to pay attention to that. Um, customers are moving uh, you know, from, from pilots and POCs to actually deploying these things in production. So very soon, it'll start benefiting you. And if you're working in a company as uh, you know, a CIO or IT uh, manager or a development manager, these things will start becoming more relevant. So start developing this expertise now. It's, it's really simple to get started. Uh, we don't quite have time to do a full demo, but uh, uh, you know, uh, I, it's taken me about four hours to actually get from zero to getting Greengrass running on a Raspberry Pi available for like 35 bucks. You can, if you don't want to use a Raspberry Pi, use an EC2 instance. You can do that. There are examples of how people have done that. Uh, you know, I've listed a couple of links here. I've, you know, unbiased, I've used non-AWS documentation, uh, but you can use AWS documentation as well to get started. Uh, these are some examples of people who've gotten from zero to getting started very quickly, so I found that interesting. With Amazon FreeRTOS, uh, you, you, you know, there's various development boards available to actually create uh, you know, interesting applications on, you know, on, on these development boards. One of them is called the ESP uh, Rover Kit. Uh, you can purchase that on Amazon. And uh, for these kinds of devices, it's important to be able to take FreeRTOS and run it on those li the ported libraries on those devices, so refer to the documentation in that case. Uh, but it's, it's not that complicated to get started. Embedded development is far more easier than most people think, uh, especially if you have portable libraries that things like FreeRTOS provide. And if you don't want to buy a device, you can use a simulator that's also available. Um, so that's pretty much all we had. Um, so thank you for spending your hour with us. Um, and if you have any questions, Marco and I will be around afterwards. Uh, but please complete your survey in the mobile app when you get a chance. Thank you. Yeah.